All right. I'm about to shit on Guardians of the Galaxy via shitting on one of the worst movies I've ever seen. This. All right. Let's start again. So this is the closest I've come to writing a full script for a podcast in years. When I first started making podcasts, I wrote a script and I recorded it three times and edited those together. It was shit. Uh, and then I went to bullet points and bullet points seem to work for me. This is full sentences. So I'm wondering if I'm going to sound more scripted, but there are my ideas. They're my words. Maybe I, I planned out jokes better, but then I never, the jokes I make that I've planned out don't land. So today I want to talk about Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, but I want to talk about it via the worst film I think that's ever existed. You might be like, oh no, what's, what's going on? He didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is 100% correct. But uh, let's, let's take a look first at Metacritic score for Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. It has a meta score of 80, generally favorable. Uh, we all have the Metacritic thing where it's like 80 is not generally favorable. That's most people uh, loved it. The user score is 8.7. I thought... Marvel's The Guardians of the Galaxy was dismal. And I hated every moment playing it. And that's unusual. Uh, Mr. Warmhands sent me the game. He said, you're going to love this. You like story-based adventure action games, which is true. This is a very heavily story-oriented action-adventure game, which is also true. It just fell apart. And this takes us to Six Underground. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is the Six Underground of video games. And Six Underground is the worst movie that has ever been made in the world. First, I need to talk about a bad movie and a bad movie. So there's two kinds of bad movies. I watch a lot of movies. I watch probably a film every single day. I have a one and a half hour train ride to work and then a one and a half hour train ride home from work. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm watching TV. I'm watching movies. That's my media time now. So I've watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of movies. I love action movies. I love funny movies. I love goofy stuff. I enjoy film. Now, the first category of bad film is a film where they didn't have enough of something. It's not enough money. It's not enough talent. It's not enough time. Uh, but there is sort of a heart there that makes you end up going, it wasn't a great film, but I enjoyed it. There's a kind of bad film that it's still in the first category that is so bad that it sort of goes through the nadir and comes back up and is actually good again. It's still entertaining because that's all a movie or a video game really needs to be to be successful is entertaining. It can be entertaining in the wrong way and still be successful. I watch a lot of Steven Seagal movies. I hate him so much. Oh, he's the one who shall, whose name shall not be said. I said his name. The curse has come back. But my pleasure and enjoyment comes from picking apart those films and how bad they are. I would never recommend those films to another person. I would never say watch them unless you had the same sort of mental state as me. That's also a very important part for criticizing media is understanding the way your brain is working and the way other people's brains are working. There's lots of stuff I would watch that I would not recommend other people watch. There is the second kind of bad movie, which is bad, bad. So there's, Bad, so bad it could be good. There's bad yet still entertaining. Uh, 
there's bad, but just bad. And it comes from sort of two major issues that I'm going to talk about. But the primary thing is you have to have all the things that those other movies lack. You have to have the money, you have to have the talent, and you have to have the time. So you have to have all the things in place to be successful and still find a way to fuck it up. See, this is the problem with actually writing a script is I have to actually follow the script. Let me introduce to you a film called Six Underground. It is a Netflix movie. Netflix has money up the wazoo. This is a pre-pandemic. I think it was two, uh, anyways, maybe mid-2000s teens. So they have enough money to make a good movie. They have Ryan Reynolds as the lead. He's a very expensive actor and he's actually quite good. I like Ryan Reynolds. Uh, he's talented. He's charming. Uh, he's made some good movies, made some bad movies, but he has it in him to make a good film. Six Underground is directed by Michael Bay. Uh, Michael Bay has a very inconsistent career. He's made The Rock, which was quite good. He made Bad Boys, which is good. He made Pain and Game, which I actually thought was very good. Uh, he's made Transformer movies. Now, I believe that Transformer movies, I am not the target demographic. The most respect I had for Michael Bay is when he said, I make movies for 13-year-old boys which is a fair statement. So he's saying a lot of people complain and don't like my films because they're not the actual target audience. Six Underground in the case, in this case, uh, there's a lot of, there's a couple of heads explode and there's a lot of bodies get thrown around and stuff. That means that I was the target demographic. It had to be adults, but it's almost like his juvenile humor still stayed and then his inconsistency in tone is what infected the film uh, which made me so negative. Six Underground had two writers that I remember, uh, and it's two douchebags who should be ashamed of themselves because this movie, I don't know where it went wrong because it might've been written really well and then Michael Bay changed it. It might be Michael Bay took the material and actually elevated it. I actually don't know because I'm not part of the process. I don't think it was Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds was doing all the things he was told to do. He was being very Ryan Reynolds-y in this film. You don't even have to watch the whole film. The opening is a car chase escape scene and it by itself will illustrate to you all the problems in the film in the first like 10, 15 minutes. And I was thinking to myself, if I ever ran a film class, if I ever got any sort of respect and people were like, Peter, teach us about all, all the films you've absorbed and you've taken and you've analyzed and you've thought about, put that back out in the world. Teach these young and up-and-coming people who want to make movies what is the right and wrong thing to do. I think I could do that. I think I think I could help some people make better films. So this is for young and upcoming people who want to... Oh my God, I got a mosquito bite on my bicep and it is massive. Like I said at the beginning, as soon as I got into a flow, something would go horribly wrong. And the horribly wrong part was I looked at my own body... All right, we can, we can dispense with the stupid joke thing. Uh, I'm not going to ever uh, teach a film class, so that's fine. So we have the opening car chase, and it's demonstrative of where the movie went wrong on every, every aspect. Uh, the primary issues for me are inconsistent tone and too much noise. And this, this is visual it's action-oriented. The opening of your film is teaching the audience what they're supposed to feel and think throughout the rest of the film. The opening of the film, I would say, is probably more important than the actual like climax of the film because 
it tells me what I'm supposed to know and I, what I need to know about the world we're inhabiting for the rest of the movie. It sets up the film. First, there is all the visual noise. Michael Bay is famous for incredibly fast cuts. He was a music video director before he became a movie director, and that clearly has infected his style. There are rarely moments where you actually get to look at anything for more than a few seconds. Uh, but the problem with constant quick cuts and panning cameras all the time, it means no single image will have any real sort of impact. Your brain, it's your subconscious is taking things in. And I actually think that makes it worse in this case because my subconscious brain is going, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. What's that? What's that? I don't like that. I don't like that. And so I don't have a comprehensive feeling for everything that's going on. Uh, there's always dirt, spark. It's inconsistent lighting. There's things flashing all the time. Uh, it is visually a mess. And it's always shot from a thousand different angles. And angles are very important for giving audience a sense of where things are. Uh, one of the complaints about the Batman movies, the Christian Bale Batman movies, was during action scenes, it was very dark and the camera changed angles constantly. Now, the director said, I wanted you, the audience, to feel what it would be like to fight Batman, which would be disorienting and difficult. The problem is I'm not fighting Batman. I'm trying to enjoy a Batman movie. I want to see Batman do cool stuff. So I can't see him and I don't know where he is. That's a problem. And then there's the famous trucks driving down the road and the Joker opens and he shoots like, I think, an RPG or something out of the truck at the other truck. It's actually very difficult to know which side of the road the trucks are on. And you might be like, it's a movie. That doesn't matter. But it does. Spatial awareness is very important for consistency. Inconsistency in film uh, makes it very hard for the audience to stay with you because if something feels disjointed, they feel disjointed and then you lose tension from the action scene. Uh, we're going to watch some clips and I'm going to talk about each clip now. For the podcast listener, I've chosen clips primarily with audio, but if you want to watch the uh, bright neon green Alfa Romero drive around, uh, I don't. It's an interesting thing. One of my first complaints was about the Alfa Romero uh, being bright green, and this is like a, a getaway scene. And then uh, Ryan Reynolds actually makes a joke about uh, the lack of subtlety of the choice of car. But that said, let's take a look at the first clip. I have about seven clips of Underground 6. Six underground. I say it wrong every time. That's also another weird, very small problem. Is I get, the, I always say underground six, not six underground. That's bad. Get in the car. She's uh, she, she's bleeding. I'm aware. Just drive. I'm gonna smoke these motherfuckers. Okay. So what has happened is we have been introduced to our characters right away. The they're in a car. She's bleeding. You can feel it's very tense, okay? That's the initial setup. This is a tense scene. It's very serious. We have a big problem. One of our team is bleeding. Then he says, I'm going to smoke these motherfuckers uh, very aggressively. That wasn't too bad, but I was like, that seems like his concern is less on the survival of his teammate and more on revenge of the action of what's coming up next. So what I've been taught as the viewer is that that woman's life is less important than I thought initially. 
At first I thought, oh no, this is a big deal. She's been shot. One of their team is going to die. That's clearly a big deal. His concern is immediately switched off. And then we get to scene two. I was covering the door. We're shot through a window. Show. Oh, an amateur show. Yeah. I know you got yeah. shot through the window. God, that's what so bad. Of, what kind of lawyer uh, has that many cars? definitely going to die. I don't know a lawyer with friends in high places. Maybe mafia friends or something. The point mafia? is, we got this. That's all that matters. Okay, so we've learned a few things in this scene. Complete, like I'm saying, inconsistent tone. A complete change in tone. It was very serious a few seconds ago because this is all part of the single car chase. Now we've got Ryan Reynolds doing Ryan Reynolds. He's like doing like quips and he's talking really fast and he's he's stating obvious things in a very uncouth way. Uh, you're bleeding a lot. You're definitely going to die. But there is zero concern for her life. And he says out loud, we got this. This is the only thing that matters. So what I've been taught again is that the actual life of the person in the back seat does not matter. So if they die, it's not going to be a big deal. Hey, can I just take a moment to thank you? There is nothing else I'd rather be doing with my life. I don't okay. care. All right. So there we have the driver, again, mid car chase, person bleeding to death in the back saying, hey, Let's just have a little aside. I want to tell you how happy I am to be on this team. I love this. This is my life now. It's great. And then Ryan Reynolds turns around and says, I don't care. And so I'm learning that this team does not care about each other. And you might be, and that's actually, that could be fine. If the team is disposable, then that's fine. But of course, then we're going to get to some other stuff. So. Okay, so what has just happened, for those who are actually listening to the audio version of the podcast, is a big truck just scraped the bright green Alfa Romero. Okay, now they've hit a black car. Now, a black car would usually imply the bad guys. I actually don't remember if these are bad guys or not, but there are two guys in that car. Uh, They get exploded, okay? So now I know that at least the bad guys' lives are not worth anything because of the reaction of the driver of the bright green Alfa Romero. So he's enjoying this. So people dying doesn't matter. Enemies dying doesn't matter. Again, so uh, this is all contextual for what I need to know going into the rest of the film to understand how I'm supposed to feel. This didn't bother me yet. I did feel like this was, again, it's sort of the visual cuts and stuff. I don't think Michael Bay's... uh, really the best director for me, but I wasn't annoyed at the film. Uh, That's coming up very soon. (laughs) Let's get through the rest of the scene though. So we have the heavy bass drum kind of sound to give it some intensity. Uh, They've just killed some bad guys. He's wooed his way into the next part. So he almost hits some nuns. He almost hits some nuns. They'll forgive me. So that's just so they could throw a joke in. He says, the nuns will forgive me. I knock them all off their bicycles. And then the nuns give up and they start flipping him the bird. It's a joke. I was kind of a throwaway. It seemed unnecessary because, again, it's lowering the sense of intensity of this, this scene. Um, if it's a comedy, you could actually go lighter than this and just have several of these things happen. But then the next thing that happens... Ah! 
Okay, so that was a pedestrian. So the previous car that got exploded by getting hit by the truck, there were two guys in it. Uh, they died. They wooed. They had a great time. Uh, that's actually fine. If you grew up with 80s and 90s action films like I did, killing bad guys is a good thing. They're just fodder. It's a visual thing. You kill as many as you can to show how great the heroes are, uh, how capable they are. Killing innocent people is bad. Now, I know it's bad. Now, in this movie, what's happened is he's just hit a pedestrian with a car and he's quipped. He said, I definitely had the right of way. He's shown no regret, no remorse. Because he's shown no regret, no remorse, I know that in this universe, no one's life has any value. And that becomes very important for the end of this scene. Oh, uh, it was just the music bug. <laughs> we had, we have, again, inconsistently, we had this like heavy bass drums and it was really intense. And now it's kind of actually got a bit of a light feel to it. One for four. Yeah, go for four. We need you. Of course you need me. I'm here. And then they have these, again, light introduction of another character. Uh, no one gives a shit. All right. So what has just happened is the driver has slid out and he has crashed the car into a loader of some sort with uh, like a forklift and the tines were up and one has gone through him and it has killed the driver. So we now know that this is important. The driver is a member of the team. But again, what we've been taught the entirety of the film so far is that he does not matter. Uh, no one's life matters. Uh, and then... We get to the burial scene. Yeah, so they're on a boat. They're going to dispose of the body. They're zipping up a plastic bag with his body in it. One guy is crying. A guy who was just introduced quite recently. They're drinking and eating pizza. Are you crying? Oh, we didn't even know his name. We don't know any names. What was his name? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, what you've done just there with one sentence is remove any impact. So I thought we were going for a tonal shift. We were going to be like, this team cares about each other. The death of one of the members of the team is important. He says, what's his name? They keep each other's name secret as part of the whole system that they've created within the, 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 the film itself. But fuck me. Uh, this guy is dead right in front of you. Ryan Reynolds' face is telling me he's sad. The music is telling me I should feel sad. And he's just said, who cares? And if he says who cares, then it's going to be hard for me to care. He's a good man. Was he a good man? I mean, he was kind of a dick. He hit a guy with a car. I actually see some inconsistencies in the lines that have been written, which is where I start to blame the writers of this, not necessarily Ryan Reynolds, because he's doing what he's told. And this next part is the part that pissed me off more than anything else, I think. Well, I managed the risk. I'm sorry. Did he have a family? I think you're looking at it. So did he have a family? I think you're looking at it. Fucking none of you have demonstrated that you care about each other in any way whatsoever. How the fuck are you guys his family? And I'm supposed to feel emotional right now. I feel nothing. 
This kid dying meant nothing to me when I watched this film. And it set it up for the rest of the film. I don't care if any of them die. It doesn't matter. And that's what they've established with this opening car chase and these opening scenes. What this should be doing is having impact on me. I should be like going, oh, that team was really tight knit. They care about each other. This is a really important moment. Uh, Tears are completely appropriate. Nothing. Because what we do know is that no one gives a shit about each other unless you get to make a quip. I don't know if this is a comedy, if it's an action movie, it's a serious movie. I don't know. I'm pretty sure what it wants to be is all three at the same time. Uh, And I'm actually finding that's why it fails along with so many other movies because they actually haven't decided what they really want to be before they start the movie because you need a main tone or a main theme. Comedy movies do need serious moments. They make the comedy sort of more poignant. Sad movies... Uh, action movies need breaks in the action to let you breathe and take in a moment of the scenery and then understand the characters better. Call of Duty, the video game. You're never going to feel anything about any of the characters living or dying in a Call of Duty because it's essentially nonstop murder. What they teach you is that human life has no value. You're there to kill, 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 kill. So if you die, it doesn't matter. That's okay. Call of Duty is a good game because it said like, we're focusing on one thing. We're going to do that one thing really, really well. You go there, you go there for the action. You don't care about the story. You go to a movie, you care about the story. You go to a story-driven video game. This is me slowly dropping in that we're going to be moving on to Guardians of the Galaxy soon. You care about the story. Otherwise, you wouldn't be playing a story-based game. Moments break up the film, but if you have two tones fighting each other throughout the film. So what we just had was serious action and lighthearted comedy, like ribbing each other back and forth. Neither can has a chance to sort of be the big one and be successful because you need that big feeling to be successful. Do you remember the movie Hancock? So Hancock was Will Smith pre-slap. He was a superhero. He kind of had lost his way in the world. He was drinking a lot. Uh, It had two mini movies. It had the first half of the film was a film. It was a comedy. It was about this guy who was down and out, but had superpowers. The second one, it was supposed to be a redemption story, but it changed tone. It wasn't funny anymore. It was a completely serious action hero movie. If they had stayed with any one of those themes throughout, I bet they would have had a good movie. If they'd stayed comedy the whole time, you would have had a good comedy movie. If they'd stayed serious the whole time, maybe with quips and stuff every now and then, it probably would have been, I would say, a massive movie because that's actually what Marvel does right now. Marvel movies, everyone talks about how like quippy and funny they are, but if you actually watch the movie and like take in the overall tone is almost always quite serious. I watched the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 movie, volume two, pre this podcast so I could have a sense. How does the game relate to how the video, uh, to the movie, how does the video game relate to the movie in their tone and do they have the same problems? Guardians of the Galaxy 2, the movie, has very little comedy in it. Uh, It has some standout scenes. Those are all the scenes you'll see in the commercials. If you watch the commercials, you will actually take in the entirety of the comedic offerings of the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And then I was also thinking about all my friends have started playing Diablo, the new Diablo 4. And I have never played Diablo, but I know that one of the older games has a sort of Easter egg. It goes, there's a side mission, like a portal. You can go to this other place. Diablo is a very dark, heavy video game. The tone is very depressed. It's very, it's very heavy. Everything's ominous. 
Uh, then it has this portal you can go through and there's level. It's all cows and rainbows and green grass. And uh, it's just a joke. It's a little Easter egg. It came from a joke from a previous film, a previous game. That didn't ruin the game because it was an Easter egg. It was a side bit. It was extra. You actually could have passed right by it. The only reason you would have gone there is if you went there on purpose for a little surprise. And a little surprise taking you out is awesome. If that had become the second half of the game, people would have hated it because it was inconsistent. Then I thought, okay, what is a movie with a consistent tone that's trying to do a very similar thing? Uh, And then I got to John Wick. The first death of Six Underground demonstrates that nobody cares about anybody. The world is unfeeling towards human life. Human life does not matter. Yet John Wick is the introduction of John Wick, the character. He's very sad. He gets a puppy. The puppy represents the last vestige of hope he has because it's a gift from his recently deceased wife. They spend nearly 20 minutes setting up that relationship. It takes a really long time before any action happens in John Wick, if you really think about it, uh, because they want to impress upon you, the audience, the incredible value of the life of that dog. And it's because that dog's life in itself has a certain amount of value. Uh, He's showing that he cares about it. I mean, at first he's a little reluctant. He doesn't have dog food and stuff. Uh, He doesn't want to sleep on the bed. Then, of course, he wakes up. It's sleeping in the bed. It's all very cute and funny, to be honest. Um, But what's actually happening is they're saying, look, the only person he's ever loved is deceased. She gave him this post-mortem. This is the thing that is pulling him out of this state of depression and demise that he has fallen into. Then the guys want to steal the car and then they kill the puppy just to be shitty. But we as an audience know the value of that puppy to John Wick. We know the value of it and therefore the impact of that death is more significant. Therefore, the rampage he goes on for the rest of the film makes perfect sense. He will not stop because you've taken away the only thing he cares about. And it's just a puppy. This Six Underground is supposed to be a team of elite people who are all really good at their jobs. And they clearly don't give a shit about each other. So when someone dies, it's like, "Ah, who the fuck cares? There is supposed to be a redemption arc for Ryan Reynolds where he cares at the end. And uh, he starts out saying, just leave him behind. But then at the end, he's got like a new member who replaces the guy who died. That guy's like, I'm never going to leave someone behind. And then he goes, ah, don't leave him behind. I didn't care. Because the whole movie had taught me that, yeah, does it really matter? Because it doesn't. Because he's just going to replace someone anyways because they're just going to die. Who gives a shit? I've already mentioned 90s movies, but it's quips and death. The only thing that was consistent in sort of 80s, 90s action movies was maybe if the hero wasn't alone, he probably had a best friend. And if that best friend died, what they had done, sure, thousands of other minion enemies had died around them, but They had built up the relationship, so if one of the main characters died, it was going to be significant. They often didn't do it in the first film. It would have been the second film where a main character, usually best friend or something, dies, and that sets off the impetus for the second film, where it's like a revenge fantasy kind of thing. But they spent an entire film setting up that relationship. Uh, again, because back then in those films, they understood that the relationship between those characters has to be taught to the audience as valuable. So the break in that value becomes meaningful, which is where six underground fails in every aspect because nothing they did was meaningful. Similar vein, uh, last week I rewatched Hurt Locker. And in Hurt Locker, the first opening scene has one death in it. 
But that sets up for the importance and the stakes of death in that movie for the rest of the film, because they are very worked up about trying to keep him alive. And then they are very shattered when the main, the first character dies. And that's teaches us as the audience, what we are supposed to care about for the rest of the film. I have to pee. You know, there's an average speed at which mammals pee. It's, I think it's like 11 seconds is really normal. So like an elephant pees on average for 11 seconds, a human pees on average for 11 seconds. And like, certain, I guess, dogs and stuff pee on average. It's not, I don't remember the number exactly, but it's something like that. Like, and it's an average. So of course you pee longer and shorter sometimes, but the average amount of time for almost all mammals is the same amount of pee time. Science, someone studied that. It's fucking amazing. All right, so uh, now we get to another sort of uh, complaint. Again, teaching the audience what you're supposed to care about. Uh, Solo. Very, if you're a Star Wars fan, Solo is pretty offensive. It's offensive for me primarily because fuck those writers who clearly did not understand what they were talking about when they wrote this film. Throughout the entirety of all the Star Wars franchise, there is one consistent and is that Han Solo and Chewbacca love each other. They are best friends. And this pissed me off so much. This is supposed to be the Solo story. And of course, within that first story is how he meets Chewbacca. He gets thrown in a thing with a Wookiee and they're like, haha, the Wookiee's going to kill that guy. And then he speaks a little Wookiee and then the Wookiee doesn't kill him. And then he helps the Wookiee escape and they have a blood oath. You saved my life and therefore I will serve you. That is not friendship. That is slavery. Now you can grow friendship out of that because Solo, maybe he doesn't think about uh, he doesn't have any sort of regard for blood oaths because that's not part of his culture. And he just treats Chewbacca like an equal. That actually seems to happen right away from the beginning. But there is no moment where they demonstrate that Han Solo and Chewbacca love each other. That Han Solo is willing to risk himself and his life and all his choices for his friend. Chewbacca is very selfless. But if he does selfless things, what we're actually seeing is maybe he's just doing it because of a blood oath. There is one scene and it ruined the entire film for me because they're in a mine. There are Wookiees being uh, forced to do work the mines. They're slaves. And then they have a mission. They have to go left to go finish the mission. I don't know, steal some data. You go right and go save the Wookiees. Han Solo and Chewbacca in that film, Chewbacca's like, I got to go save my people. And then Han Solo's like, we got to finish the mission or they're going to kill us. And then Chewbacca's like, nah, man, I got to do this. And then Han Solo's like, okay, let's split up. You go save the Wookiees. I will go get the data and finish the mission. This was the singular missed opportunity to establish the love between these two characters. What you need to show is Han Solo being really, really torn up. Like, I have to finish the mission or they're going to kill us, but my best friend here needs help. What he should have done was said, fuck it, let's go save your people. And then if we have time, we'll go get the data together. So you rewrite that scene where it's like Chewbacca goes, hey, we got to go save the Wookiees. And Han Solo goes, no, we got to finish the mission or they're going to kill us. And Wookiees, uh, Chewbacca's like, nah, man. Fucking Wookiees are being uh, enslaved right now. I'm not, I can't stand for that. And Han Solo going, oh, God, we gotta, we gotta get them. They're gonna kill us. We gotta, we gotta do it. We gotta do the thing. And then, oh, fuck. Okay, let's go save the Wookiees. He has that emotional tear where his love for Chewbacca overwhelms or is more valuable to him than his own life. They go save the Wookiees and then the Wookiees help them take over the data center and then they all escape together. 
Good scene, good movie. We've established for the rest of the film. You don't even need to do anything else. You've established that Han Solo cares more for Chewbacca's values than he does for his own life. And that is what Best Friends is all about. So to see McBee, a little lesson for you, what friendship is all about. So we're going to get to the Guardians of the Galaxy game. And everything I've said so far, fucking mosquito. It's the one who bit my bicep, you motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, the distractions are running hard and fast today. I need to give you sort of my gamer resume to start. I think, I think that's fair. Because you could say you just don't like video games and stuff. Uh, and again, sort of my thing uh, at the beginning where Michael Bay makes movies for 13-year-old boys. Maybe I'm not the target audience. That would be fair. So you need to know what kind of games do I don't I like. I love Grand Theft Auto. Now, I actually like the single player a lot more than the multiplayer aspects of it. Multiplayer is fun, but to me, it's a single player game. I like Dark Souls. I like challenges. I like things to be hard. So that sort of gives you balance. I would say GTA is not hard. Uh, if we're being really honest, you just kind of play through and you fuck around. You have a good time. Dark Souls is hard. It's very deliberate. It's very onerous. Uh, I'd like The Last of Us. I like a lot of story-driven stuff. Stories really get me. The Unfinished Swan, I played drunk and I cried. Uh, and the story is actually very shallow. But because it was a good story, it was continuous. And there was another game. Uh, it was similar to it. You shot black ink and it colored in a white background and then you could move around. That game really got me. I remember that. I think I played that drunk too. Play a lot of games drunk. I like Metal Gear Solid, which has 40-minute cutscenes, which is ridiculous. Uh, but I love it. doesn't make any sense. If you ask me any questions about Metal Gear Solid, any of them, I probably could not answer in any real way. So I like video games. I do like story-driven ones. As I said at the beginning, uh, my cohort said, here's a story-driven action game. You are going to love it. Oh, I have some clips. We're going we're gonna to watch some unscripted clips of me playing Guardians of the Galaxy, and then I'll kind of give you a, like, like we did with Six Underground, I'll fill you in on what I was feeling in that moment. I don't care. <laughs> I actually think right there is it. Uh, we're in the middle of an action scene. Uh, I'm running around, and my first reaction to being in a new area should be excitement, and I just get to a point where I say, I don't care. So I have freeze powers, but I can't freeze anything and they're just kicking the shit out of me why aren't my freeze powers working so the problem is at this point i've been given freeze powers there's a waterfall it would make logical sense for me to freeze the waterfall that is what i've been taught by the game i'm shooting the waterfall and nothing's happened i get too close to it and rocket suddenly has to go into the water because there's this whole sort of subplot of rocket hates to get wet he overcomes that fear for the team and stuff but i was like this doesn't make sense if it's water and i have just been given freeze powers i should be freezing the water so again inconsistency makes it difficult for me to care about what's happening because what i've been taught and what is actually happening don't match Oh, can you just shut the fuck up and do it? <laughs> so that is everything about this sucks so much. Uh, that you can hear. This is past the midpoint of the game. I'm pretty sure you can hear the despair I have at the fact that they are still talking. One of my biggest complaints. Again, messy. 
Now, messy can come in a lot of ways. There's visually messy. There's uh, orally messy. Guardians of the Galaxy to me is an orally messy game. I care about what characters say. I want to hear what the characters say. I turn on subtitles even when I'm uh, watching, uh, even when I'm playing a game, so that I don't miss what characters say. Because this game is a constant barrage of lines, it means that the lines get mixed up so much that you actually start to lose track of what they say. Is, is it important or not? Because so much of what they say is trash, the little gems of necessity in there get lost. And all I can say at the end of this is, let's see if I can hit that part again. Oh, could you just shut the fuck up and do it? <laughs> and to me, that was almost my whole experience in Guardians of the Galaxy, is they spent so much time talking. It was so unnecessary. It was so laborious. And they just never actually got to the fucking point. No idea what they're talking about. That's fine. These scenes are so long. So I have no idea what they're talking about, but that's fine. It's not the reaction I should be having as a player. I should care about what's going on. But at this point, we're chapter 13. They've lost me completely. I think I say in the next part uh, what's important. Okay, we're on chapter 13. There are 13, 14, 15. So there's four full chapters left. That's how you know a game is good. when You start counting down the chapters to the end. So what's happened now is I've gotten past the midpoint. So the point of no return, I'm going to finish the game. I'm now actually spite playing it. I'm playing it because I want to find all the things I hate because I knew I was going to do something like this. I knew I wanted to do by the midpoint. I was like, I need to analyze why I'm having such a negative visceral reaction to this game because I actually have not hated a game as much as guardians of the galaxy as in, in my life. And remember, this is a game that everyone else seems to love. It has a Metacritic score of 80 and a user score of 8.7, which is 87. That is ridiculous. Why do I hate it so much? So that's what I'm trying to get through. Uh, the, the, the story itself gets lost in the amount of noise they make, and it is constant. During battles, they're talking. During cutscenes, they're talking. And it becomes unnecessary to listen to them when they talk. So you get into this problem where I don't care what they say, even when it's important. Ah, uh, okay. Not completely nonsensical once again. You should never sigh like that when you're playing a video game. You should never be exhausted at the beginning or the end of a cutscene. I, I, was, I was annoyed and tired when a cutscene started, and I was annoyed and tired when a cutscene ended. Completely lost track of what I'm doing, to be honest. Boink. Okay, this is, if you're able to see the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, a fairly low-key combat moment. They have, on the screen right now, they have up in the corner, it says Marvelous. They have my health bar. That's all pretty normal standard stuff. Uh, they have some green lights. That's health coming back to me. They have uh, neon flashes. They have a health bar above the enemy. This is only two enemies on the screen right now. Uh, I punch him, he punches me. Uh, there's some guys battling in the background. And what I found very annoying is the visual noise on the screen all the time. It made it very difficult for me to focus on enemies and uh, what was going on. You're supposed to be managing your team as well. And I found the team management to be laborious because you had to basically step out of the game, click a button and step back in. The screen was covered in shit the whole time. 
And I remember when the first Destiny came out, it bugged me. It was particle effects. It was flashing lights. Uh, it was all bright neon. Uh, the screen lit up constantly. This was clearly, I think this might have been designed for a new generation of gamer who can take in all that inf visual information. So this might be me admitting I'm old and maybe that's where I'm wrong and the game is actually okay. So all those people who love the game, they're younger people who actually like don't care for over over stimuli. But I found that I wanted a better visual understanding of what was going on on the screen all the time. Oh, and you had to use the right weapon to take down certain shields and stuff. Um, flashes, the whole screen turns green. I've lost the ability to remember things. Uh, and there's one more, actually. Which takes us to the second last boss fight. The second last boss fight uh, happens in pitch black. So they actually take everything off the screen. It's the exact opposite of what's been happening the entirety of the game. The entirety of the game, everything's lit up, everything's bright, everything's flashing at you. And so I think the intent was that we'll take all that away and then you're going to be like, you'll lose track of the enemies. It'll feel very claustrophobic, something like that. What I actually ended up happening was it felt exactly the same because overwhelming light and complete lack of light end up being the exact same feeling. I'm just trying to finish the game. I just want to fucking get it over with. I, I am waiting for the end of a chapter so I can stop, though. So I was I would have stopped like 10, 15 minutes ago. Jesus Christ, can these scenes go longer? Can they fucking go longer? If we just add another 30, 40 minutes of this, it'd be great. So... And there it is, a very sincere expression of frustration with the fact that uh, the cutscenes go on too long because they're just talking constantly. Everyone has to have their say. Everyone has to have their quip. The Guardians of the Galaxy movie, by comparison, like because you could say maybe, Peter, what you hate is Guardians of the Galaxy. That's not true. I enjoyed the first movie. I enjoyed the second movie. I watched the second movie in preparation for making this video. And what I found was there was significantly less dialogue, quipping, and jokes in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie than you would think. Because the bits that stand out are the comedy. The bits that stand out are the comedy because they are chosen. The time is chosen. So we've just had a very heavy scene. We're going to do this and then put in a scene with jokes. And then we're going to go out from that and go back to, honestly, a very straightforward, serious film. It's primarily about a man's relationship with his father, family, who you choose to be with. It is heavy stuff. As I said earlier, if you watch the commercials, if you watch all the trailers for the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, you can watch the entirety of the comedic uh, content in the trailers. Everything else in the movie is relatively straightforward and serious. This game failed at that part. So I ended up clearly in the last part incredibly frustrated uh, because I care about what people say. So I really want to hear what people say and I want it to be important. And that is good writing. You need to actually have people say things that mean stuff because it's telling me, the audience, what I need to think and feel going forward. I regularly couldn't hear or it was filtered out because there was so much noise or it was filtered out because it was so constant. There was so much constant talking that I actually didn't hear what anyone said. Too much is just as bad as not enough. An inconsistent will mean there is no impact. Uh, they were consistent in the volume, but not the quality. The good bits and the bad bits, they were just all pfft, shit together 
And I'm going to say that Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, the video game, is bad. And I know people are going to say that your opinion is subjective, but my opinion in this case is objective. And if you disagree, you're wrong. Let's just see what Ryan Reynolds has to say about this. None of us will be remembered. None of us will be remembered in Six Underground because it was an inconsistent, shitty movie. And I think Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be very forgotten very soon because it's a bunch of noise. It's a terrible game. And I hate it so much that... I actually hope that developer doesn't make another game. I don't know how to finish now. I should. I don't think I wrote an ending. I think... <clears throat> I don't wish anything bad on actual people. Whoever was sitting down writing that game and said like... So there must have been a production day. And they were like, we need to... Uh, what? We need to have them speaking nonsensically constantly because that's the nature of the character. Those guys were wrong. And they shouldn't be allowed to write anymore. I don't want them to like not have jobs and not be able to eat and stuff. I do want them to never write another script.